You're listening to Unexpected, the podcast bringing you real conversations from those of us who have suffered pregnancy and infant loss. With comfort and hope for the future, I'm your host, Ashley Bitterman. Today I'm talking to Annette, who recounts her harrowing history of recurring pregnancy loss and how she continues to have faith in her fight for another child. Hey, Annette. So let's start with one, two, three. What is one thing you cannot live without? Two of your all-time favorite movies and three celebrities you'd want to have dinner with. Um, The one thing I cannot live without would be my daughter, Faith. Um, What was the second question? Two of your all-time favorite movies. Two of my all-time favorite movies. Okay, so I would have to say Lucas, which is a 1980s um, type of movie. Yeah, you have to watch it. And I've never heard of it. Oh, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And that's actually the very first movie that brought the slow clap in. Really? Yeah, that's the history of the slow clap. Of the slow clap. So Lucas, um, and I can tell you in a minute too why it's also my favorite. And then probably um, Pretty Woman. Oh, mm. Love that movie. Same. And then celebrities, three celebrities I'd like to have lunch with um, would be Tiffany Amber Theason. Mm, good one. Um, let's see. Shannon Doherty. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, and Jen- Jennifer Garth, which I actually met her. Really? I, yeah. I have like this amazing picture with her, but I just didn't get to take her to lunch. Oh, next time, next time. Next time. Great choices, great choices. So I was scoping on your Instagram a bit and I found a post where it said you wanted to have 60 plus children. So what is your earliest memory of wanting to be a mom and where does that come from? Um, you know, earliest, maybe two, if not younger. Um, there's actually a picture in my book that I wrote of me around that age, um, holding a baby doll. Um, and I just, everything about taking care of my baby dolls, um, and, and wanting to be the mom to them. And, um, my poor dad had to carry a stroller in the car for my baby dolls and a diaper bag for my baby dolls. (laughs) So he had to carry the bag for me and the bag for the babies. Um, it's always fun to to dream and plan like that. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, you are a recurrent loss survivor with six angel babies. Yes. And you struggle with infertility. Absolutely. What a just a devastating history. Was You know, I spent most of my teenage years avoiding pregnancy and they you know, we were taught like you can get pregnant so easily. I remember when I was, you know, 14 and had my first boyfriend and I had already been on birth control because I had cysts and fibroids and whatnot. And he told me, you know, you can get pregnant through genes. You can get, that's how easy it is to get pregnant. Sperm travels through genes. Or if, you know, if you sit on a a toilet with sperm on it, you're going to get pregnant. And his point was like to scare me. Of course. No, but it was, you know, never in a million years did I think it would be a problem to get pregnant or stay pregnant. Yeah. Um, Was infertility something 
that you were warned would be part of your life or was it just a total surprise? Um, at one point in my 20s, um, I had a really large fibroid and the doctor wasn't sure if he would have to do a hysterectomy. And I said, if there is any chance, I'd already had two miscarriages. And I said, if there is any chance for me to carry a baby, then I need you to leave things in there. If there's absolutely no chance, then please remove my uterus. And that was our deal going in. And when I woke up, um, that was my first question is, do I still have a uterus? And they said, yes, you do. And he, and everything's checked out and you will have no problem getting pregnant. Um, so, you know, like I said, I had already had my two miscarriages at this point. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a problem, you know, to, to get pregnant and... So when, when you had, those were two pregnancies, you had no issue conceiving at that point? I did not actually. Um, my first one is at 19 um, and I was on the pill um, and uh, I got pregnant and told my fiance um, who was, I was in a physically and um, mentally abusive relationship at that point. So I told my fiance and I thought he would be happy. Like his goal was like, you're not going to work. You're going to be a stay-at-home mom. We're going to have a ton of kids. So I thought he'd be very happy. And instead he got so upset that he hit me with such force that I flew across the room over the dining room table and into a wall and I miscarried. Oh um, my gosh. And uh, I also had a concussion and some, some other issues. Um, and then, um, my second miscarriage, um, I didn't really know I was pregnant until I was miscarrying. So mm. by time, you know, I met my husband and we started to, you know, talk about kids and all that. I, my only concern at this point was, was I going to be able to continue a pregnancy. It wasn't, would I be able to get pregnant? Right. Well, gosh, I am just terribly sorry that you experienced that. It's just horrific to imagine. And I'm so grateful that you found yourself out of that situation. Yeah, I actually ended up living in my car for a couple of weeks. I was homeless to get out of it, but um, it's what I needed to do to get away from that. Oh, and thank goodness that you made that decision and stuck with that, even though I'm sure it was one of the most hard moments of your life. You've yes. clearly been through a lot, but um, good for you for doing what you needed to do to take care of yourself and, and move forward, which is not an easy thing to do. Thank you. You describe yourself as an autoimmune warrior. Yes. What health issues are you battling and how does that affect your everyday life? So I have rheumatoid arthritis um, and I have fibromyalgia and also have, um, just as a new diagnosis, it's a, it's a new, it's another type of arthritis and I forgot what she, she called it, psoriatic arthritis. Um, and I have already had two knee replacements on my right knee. Wow. Um, I have arthritis in my feet and in my hips and in my hands. Um, but I take medicine for it and I am pushing through 
um, the pain and the struggles because I'm not going to let my disease overtake my life. Good for you. I mean, I think the easy thing to do is give in yeah. and, and let it. And you seem to be, I mean, warrior seems to be the appropriate, appropriate term to describe you. So um, very, very inspirational for sure. Um, my goodness, you've been through a lot. And so the first two times you got pregnant, not an issue, um, weren't even trying. Mm-hmm. And then tell me about your first experience with infertility and how you thought, when you thought there might be an issue. Yeah. So, um, my husband, when my husband and I got married, he had had a vasectomy, um, and, you know, he had two children from his first marriage and because his ex-wife had some health conditions, they wanted to make sure that their, every precaution was taken and she wouldn't get pregnant. Yep. But we got, we got married. And at first I was thinking, you know, I can do this. I don't need any children on my own. Like I'm satisfied. You know, I was trying to will myself to just be satisfied with what we had. And, and he started talking about the same thing. He's like, you know what? I want to have a baby with you. I want us to have an us baby. Mm. So, um, so we went and got his vasectomy reversed and the, um, the urologist said, well, how many kids do you want to have? And I answered four and he answered one. Um, and so he gave us both a look and he looked at my husband. He said, okay, I'm going to install a light switch. Um, so you can flip it on and off whenever you want to have babies. That's great. Um, so we then spent the next like year and a half trying on our own and then maybe going to Clomid. Um, and we thought that the issue was, you know, his, the quality of his sperm from the vasectomy reversal. Right. Um, and at that point still, I wasn't considering that I played a role in it. Our, our, we were going through infertility because of male factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had gone through, you know, the two rounds of ICSI and, um, you know, then when eventually IVF and, um, you know, found that was one of the reasons, ways that we found my, in, my um, rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory arthritis is because that was what was also preventing me from getting pregnant. Wow. That, and I had a, um, you know, a, a little defect in my uterus that she was able to fix. And then, so she fixed that defect and removed some of the inflammation in my arthritis. And that's how I got pregnant with the embryo from our first IVF cycle. Wow. Um, Okay. So how many IVF cycles have you done? Four. My goodness. And as somebody who is still going through it, it is an extremely overwhelming, demanding, emotional, (laughs) physically painful process. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done this four times. I've done it four times. You are certainly not somebody that gives up easily. No. And I, I spoiler, we're good. We're going to get to this, but I now do not have a uterus because of my last loss, but we're still trying. So that's a spoiler for what's going to happen. You know, what we'll talk about soon. Wow. Okay. So tell me about the first IVF cycle where you had one embryo. So we actually had two, um, but the doctor said, you know, this one doesn't look, neither of them look the greatest. Um, You know, I gave maybe a less than a 1% chance of getting pregnant. Um, And that was even after, you know, having the inflammation removed from my uterus and the the, the defect and whatnot. Um, And so I just, it's not going to happen. I just had made up my mind. It wasn't going to happen. And that was that. 
Um, but I did, I would, went through the two week wait and then I went for my blood test and whatnot, just the formality, right? So we can confirm that I wasn't pregnant and start on their next IVF cycle. So when the doctor called to tell me I was pregnant, I didn't believe her. And so she's like, Annette, congratulations, you're pregnant. And I said, so how soon can we try again? Oh my gosh. And she's like, no, you're pregnant. I said, yeah, no, I hear you. But like, I want to get going on my next IVF cycle. Oh my God. And she says, Annette, stop. Listen, you're pregnant. So then I called my husband and I said, I need you to come home immediately, like super urgent. So he runs home. He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I said, I don't understand it. The doctor keeps telling me I'm pregnant and I I'm not. And he's like, no, she's telling you you're pregnant. Like I just couldn't accept it because I had made up my mind. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So, but the journey with that pregnancy was very long and scary. Um, at five weeks, I started bleeding. And at six weeks, I went to the ER with um, what thought I was having a miscarriage. I was hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we was able to see the baby on the ultrasound fine. My numbers were fine, but the doctor wanted me to terminate the pregnancy. And I refused. Wow. And so they, they called us, the on-call psychiatrist into the ER that night and had me evaluated to take away my rights because I wasn't able to think clearly. Oh and God. the psychiatrist sided with me and I was put on bed rest and... What was the reason they gave you for termination? Because the bleeding meant something wasn't right. I see. Yep. Even though, you know, baby was, looked just like it should for six weeks, you know, my levels were above where they should be for six weeks. The bleeding had to mean that there was something wrong. And, um, and I just flat out refused. Hmm. Um, and that's why they had me evaluated for a 72 hour hold and to remove my rights to make medical decisions. Wow. Um, but fortunately the psychiatrist sided with me and said, you know, bleeding in first trimester happens. Yeah. Just let's see what happens. Send her home and put her on bed rest. Um, so the pregnancy continued bleeding on and off. Um, at 10 weeks, I was throwing a huge birthday party for my stepdaughter and I was doubled over in pain and I went to the bathroom and I passed a large clot. Oh, gosh. And so um, my husband took it out of the toilet and put it in a bag because that's what we were told to do if it happened. Um, and I called my doctor and she said, it sounds like you miscarried. Come in tomorrow morning for an ultrasound to confirm it. We'll do a DNC. So that night I just went through the motions of having a party for an eight-year-old with, you know, 30 kids running around and tried my best to act like the gracious host and the cool stepmom and just have this party. Um, and at 8 a.m. the next day, we went in for our ultrasound and, you know, she turned the screen away from me. You know, everybody thought that I had miscarried. And there was my daughter with a really strong heartbeat and that clot was the other embryo. Wow. There's a reason she's named Faith. Oh um, gosh. So my husband kept saying, we have to have faith, we have to have faith. And so once we knew she was a girl, that's what we named her. 
Um, I developed gestational diabetes in my second trimester. And in my third trimester, they told me that her heart was deformed and she probably would not survive childbirth. Um, so I was induced and I was not allowed to do the final push until the NICU team was there. Oh. Um, and so they took her away from me right away. I didn't get to hold her to do her exam. And the doctor handed her to me and said, she's perfect. APGAR of nine out of 10. I'm going to go find a sick baby that really needs me. Oh my gosh. And I said, well, what was that about her heart? And he said, near as I can tell is a bad ultrasound. So she is our miracle baby. Oh my gosh. What a story. And how many times you were so close to having a totally different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And faith, I mean, it's, I totally get it and perfect. And it's my middle name. <laughs> so oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I, I do love that name that has meaning to me and I, gosh, does that make sense? Um, she is definitely the faith of the family. Yes. She is. Sure. She's proof that miracles can happen. Um, but we started again because around two, just like me, she kept wanting, you know, baby. Mm. I, you know, I want baby. I want baby. Um, and she saw, you know, kids at her daycare and whatnot had brothers and sisters. And so she would. And then at about three years old, she started going around telling people, my mommy's having a baby. And they'd oh. say, are you pregnant? Congratulations. And I'm like, no, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> And, and they said, well, your daughter is. And so I asked Faith, I said, honey, why are you saying I'm pregnant? She said, because I asked God every night for a baby and he's not going to let me down. Oh my goodness. So we went on with our IVF attempts. Um, and that's when I had my, um, my third miscarriage. Hmm. And was there any reason for that? No, I wasn't given it. And to be honest, at that time, I didn't know that it was okay to grieve a miscarriage. And so I was sad and brokenhearted. And, you know, my husband's like, I think we just have to keep moving on. Mm. And, and I, so I, I never talked about my grief. I never let anybody know I was sad after like that one day, like it was just, we didn't talk about that miscarriage, um, we just kept going and um, into our next IVF cycle. Wow, and you're, you're bringing up something that is definitely a common feeling and it's so unfortunate. And it's something I've spoken about a lot on this podcast, which is you know the 12 week wait, that you're not supposed to tell anybody you're pregnant until yeah. you hit 12 weeks because you might lose the baby. And that means grieve in silence or not at all is yeah. basically what that rule is saying. And why do you think that is? You know, um, for me, why I made that choice and I kind of now regret it, but why I made that choice was because um, I didn't know. I. I, I didn't know I had permission to feel my feelings and grieve. And so, you know, I thought if I miscarry, who could I talk to about it? Hmm. Who would understand what I'm going through? You know, are they going to just, who would get it? And I don't want, I didn't want to have to go through the explanations or the feelings like, you know, I'm feeling something that I shouldn't be feeling. 
Um, and so for me, that's why I made the choice to not tell until you know the second start of the second trimester. And it was so hard because I wanted to be excited. I wanted to share the joy, but part of not telling also meant like I couldn't celebrate myself. Yeah. I couldn't be happy and enjoy or make those hope purchases or anything like that because what if it doesn't happen? And then I, you know, I'm letting myself down. So for me in my pregnancies, um, and especially in my, my last two, because of the miscarriages, I just, I, I couldn't let myself believe or accept that I was having a baby. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so, that's definitely one of, that's one of the robberies of going through a loss is that you don't give yourself you take away any of the joy if it ever happens again. And a pregnancy, if it happens again, is just filled with worry and you don't get to enjoy it. And that sucks. And it's scared to be pregnant and you're scared to not be pregnant. Yes. Yeah. That's pregnancy after loss. You're just, the joy is, is taken from you and it's so unfair. And here you are able to pick yourself up somehow and continue after nonstop heartbreak? Yeah. How? how? I was, here's how it kind of occurred to me, like after this last one, and we'll talk about that. I lost, my last loss was in my second trimester. Um, so I didn't know who I was at that time, mm. but for my husband and for my daughter, and for my responsibilities, I picked myself up and I kept going all the time. I'm saying, I can't, I can't do this. I can't live life, but I'm making dinner. Hmm. Um, I can't think clearly, but I just, you know, rocked a, a meeting at work, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, wait a second. I am putting little pieces of strength forward. So I think that was one thing. And then for me, it was the fact that if I have, if I give up hope, that will deplete any strength I have in me. And it's that hope that keeps me going and keeps me strong. Mm. Yeah. I guess that's all you can do, right? Is if you lose hope, then there's nothing left. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt. And for, you know, after my last loss, um, I did give up hope for a little bit mm-hmm. and I fell apart. Um, and then I started, we have, you know, we have one embryo left and there's surrogates out there. So maybe we don't need to give up hope. Um, and that was the other thing that kind of picked me up and got me off the couch. So, um, yeah, I, I had, um, you know, then I had my third IVF cycle and we got four embryos from it. Um, one took, and that was miscarriage number four. Um, and then we did our fourth IVF cycle and I had 49 eggs. Oh my gosh. I, I know, right? I'm coming from my, my first one where I had two. Um, and then, so I had 49 eggs oh and gosh. 10 embryos. So... That's insane. 
Yeah. I didn't even know that was possible. My doctor was like, um, I haven't seen these kind of numbers from egg donors. <laughs> um, but oh, how did they just increase it? your medication or how do you get to no, it was the same? It was the same stuff, all the whole same protocol. Um, I massively changed my diet. I exercised every day. Um, and I listened to podcasts daily that made me happy. If that's not a how-to guide, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I was, you know, 42 also. And my doctor's like, you know, I don't see this kind of results out of 25-year-olds that are egg donors, let alone, you know, somebody um, over their 40s. So that's incredible. Uh, and, and that kind of speaks to hope too, right? Here I am, you know, in my 40s, still trying to to give my my daughter the baby sibling that she still prays every night for. Mm. So tell me about your pregnancy with Mary Grace. So with Mary Grace, um, um, I mean, found out I was pregnant on um, Halloween. There's a picture of me like just beaming dressed in a goat onesie. Um, <laughs> you know, everything seemed great until I started bleeding mm. um, and started bleeding, you know, five weeks, I had some spotting, um, but again, numbers looked good. They, you know, doctor thought maybe it's just going to be a pregnancy like it was with Faith, mm -hmm. you know, um, and at seven weeks, I started hemorrhaging and I went to the ER and everything looked good. Um, and then I was in the ER again, like a couple of days later, hemorrhaging again, and still everything looked good. But my OB noticed something on the ultrasound that was wrong with the placenta. Wow. Um, and so she sent me to a high-risk doctor and, you know, they said it was um, likely placenta accreta where the, the, uter the placenta goes into the uterine wall. Mm. And that was probably because of the D and C that I had with my fifth miscarriage um, combined with the fibroid that I had removed. Um, but you know, that pregnancy, carrying the pregnancy to term was possible and we would see us through it. And so on New Year's Eve, I started my second trimester and my husband said, I think we need to tell people. And I was terrified to tell people because in my heart, I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. Yeah. I still, you know, even though we had the growth scan, the first growth scan, and she looked perfect and she was passing all of her tests, I was afraid, but he's like, no, we have to, this is hope. We have to move forward. You made it to your second trimester. Um, so we, we made our, our announcement, our pregnancy announcement. And uh, it, 14 weeks, I had went to my high-risk OB and she said, um, the placenta is going down your cervix. It's consuming about 70% of your cervix. She said, if it continues to go down your cervix, you will bleed and we will have maybe five minutes to save your life. Oh my gosh. Um, and I said, well, I guess I'm going to you know, be on bed rest or do whatever I need to do because I'm going to see this pregnancy through and I still have 30% of my placenta or my cervix that's not taken up by the placenta. 
she said, I, I'm, I'm advising you to terminate the pregnancy. And I refused. So um, at 15 weeks, I went for a second opinion. And by then, um, the placenta was at the tip of my cervix. Oh, my God. And the doctor said, you need to terminate this pregnancy. And I was willing to give up my life for her. Um, I, you know, I, I know how bad Faith wants a sibling. And, you know, I didn't want to say goodbye to her. And I was willing to give up my life for her. But the doctor said that he, we would lose the both of us. Wow. Um, and at that point, the um, doctor took away my decisions, my ability to make the decisions on the care. Um, and it was the hardest thing that my husband ever had to do, but he was told by, and then we had to went for a third opinion by three doctors that the both of us would not survive. Oh even gosh. if I wanted to keep going. Um, so he, uh, he signed the papers to terminate her pregnancy. How does something like this happen? Or this sounds extremely rare. I've, this is not something I've personally ever heard of happening. Is this something you would ever heard of? Um, no. And the doctor said, you know, it was really rare to that it got to the stage of going down my cervix. They said that it was the procedure to deliver her. Um, she, they prepared my husband that I may not live through it. Wow. Because of everything. And so he said goodbye to me and to Mary Grace, not knowing if he would see me again. And they wheeled me into the OR. You know, I, I remember going to pre-op and um, the nurses not wanting me to sit in pre-op because they were against what I was doing. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, and just, I remember them giving me all kinds of medicine to help things before the procedure and I threw it up mm. and I, they came and they did an ultrasound so we could say goodbye to her. Oh, wow. And that was the last thing I remembered for quite a while. Um, but they did a C-section um, and they found that the placenta had gone through my uterus, wrapped itself around my kidneys and my bowel and was going down my cervix. Oh my gosh. And when they went to do it, I was already two centimeters dilated. Oh my God. So at that point it was that there was no, like I was two centimeters dilated at just over 15 weeks. She would never have survived. And so in order to save my life, there was a, took five hours of surgery and I woke up with out a uterus. Oh God. As if it's not just traumatic and devastating enough going through the worst experience of your life. And then you wake up and hear that. 
Yeah, I woke up with no baby and no uterus. And at that moment in time, it was really hard to be grateful that I was still alive. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. How do you get through the next few minutes, few hours, few days? Um, I remember calling around to funeral homes to find somebody that a funeral home that would come get her. Um, I was in the worst pain of my life physically and mentally. Um, I, I don't remember much, to be honest. I remember when we came home from the hospital, I was in the hospital for six days. Um, and I was having, you know, just, I don't know what kind of pains that they were related to the surgery, but it felt like contractions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I woke up telling Tom it was all a dream. I was still pregnant. Oh. He had to tell me all over again what happened. Oh my God. And I didn't believe him. And I begged him and I begged him to give me my baby back. Oh. I mean, I'm like, I said, I'll, I'll be the perfect wife. I'll be the perfect mom. I'll make dinner every night. Just whatever it takes, just give me my baby back. And he had to tell me every day that she was gone and we couldn't get her back. Mm. It's like the worst Groundhog's Day you could possibly imagine. It's having to just relive this day after day after day and not being able to accept it because it's not something you should have to accept. My doctor took pictures of Mary Grace right when she was born. I had um, made a little hat because it was kind of like my hold on to hope hat. And um, because they thought she would be, you know, born early and in the NICU, I made a hat with her name on it because I wanted everybody to know her name. Hmm. And so I kept that hat in my hand. Um, and they said, you know, just hold on to it. And when she's born, we'll take that hat from you. And so they took the hat from my hand and they put her in it, um, and took pictures for me. And I held on to those pictures as much as I could. Then we went to the funeral home. Um, COVID was starting. So, you know, we couldn't do anything. We went to the funeral home and I held her and I rocked her. And my husband held her and rocked her and we said goodbye and she was cremated. Mm-hmm. And then coming out of the funeral home, I collapsed right there on the sidewalk. And my husband and his father had to pick me up and carry me out. I, I was no, no longer able to walk. Oh. I mean, it's, it's just the ultimate punishment is what it feels like it's no one should ever have to bury their child like that and have to say goodbye in the way that you did that is so just traumatic and devastating and with something so innocent and someone so innocent and I struggled so much too because you know we had been trying for 10 years at that point again after faith um and I just thought it was so cruel 10 years of trying and being hopeful and being strong and being optimistic 
for our VF cycles, $300,000, like all the miscarriages. And then that's how I lose her. It's so unfair. It is just, it is cruel. That is the word. It's just cruel. And after everything you've been through, why is that what, what you got as your outcome? And when you deserved the four children that you wanted, one after the other, you suffered more than most people ever will in such a short amount of time. You know, I ask that question every day and I, I had to figure out a purpose in order to keep going. Um, now I know this is not why everything happened, but this is something, um, a trick I had to play in my mind to be able to keep going. And so I was like, well, what was the purpose of losing Mary Grace, of losing the five children before her? You know, Tommy, I lost, um, it was the baby before her. And I, with Tommy, I had lost five units of blood in an hour and had a heart attack and had to have an emergency DNC and multiple blood transfusions. And, oh, God. and then we got Mary, you know, pregnant with Mary Grace. And so I'm like, what is the purpose of this? God, like, what is like all the stuff in my life? Like, what is the purpose? Why? And so somebody said to me when they were praying with me and counseling with me, she said, I know this isn't the purpose, but what if the purpose of everything that has happened is so that you could share your story for others that feel alone, that feel abandoned, that feel like they can't keep going. So that is something that you can do to keep your baby's legacy, their memory alive. And I was like, that's really, really crappy. <laughs> but, but, you know, if everything I went through, and that was a thing, like I told you, like, I didn't know I was able to grieve. Like I, nobody was there. I couldn't talk to anybody but I was somebody people could talk to. Yes. I had been through the miscarriages. I had been through, in, you know, IVF. I'd been in an abusive relationship. Like I'm somebody that I could talk to or somebody that's out there feeling alone or like they've got nobody or nothing in their lives maybe by hearing my story, they will be a little bit stronger hmm. or know that there's somebody else out there and they're not alone. Um, and so I wrote a book. Um, it was during COVID and I, that was how I healed, not healed, like, to, you know what I mean? Like how I kept going. Yeah. Uh, and so I wrote all of this out and in four months I wrote and published a book and I just kept writing and writing and writing um everything that's happened from you know the my earliest memories of wanting children to mary grace to covid mm -hmm. um, um, my book is called finding strength in the dark um, and i truly believe that's where my strength came from is in the dark yes and so, fortunately you've been in the dark quite a few times but like I said, we have one last embryo, a boy. Um, and while I don't have a uterus, I don't 
I still have hope that I can have, my husband and I have hope that we can have this baby. Um, so um, we're making it happen. And we talked with Faith and she said, I really, really want to have my baby brother. Mm. She said, please don't give up hope. And so, you know, we talked about there are some things that we were going to need to do because, you know, a surrogate is very expensive. Yes. And so she actually just, she said, well, we love going camping in our RV, right? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, well, what if we live in it and sell the house? Um, who's the parent? Who's the 11-year-old? <laughs> She's like, mom, it'll be worth it. Oh it'll be God. worth it to have our baby. So we talked about it and we made the decision as a family. So now we are fixing up the house and we are putting it up for sale. Um, and the equity we get out of it will be enough to go um, work with an agency to um, find us a surrogate and have our baby. Oh my gosh. Wow. You're going to need to write another book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You are the face of resilience and perseverance of, and of hope. I mean, that is, it's just, you're not giving up and, and you don't have to give up nope. and you're finding ways to make it work for your family, to get yes. that family that you're, you all want. God willing. <laughs> yes. But we have to, there's some work. We can't just leave it all up to prayer. There's work that we need to do. Um, and so we're going to do it. And Faith is so excited about living in an RV. Um, and she's just like, oh, we could do this and we could do that. And um, like, she's just doing it, you know, and, and we're, you know, looking at packing up a room. She's like, I can't wait to share a bunkhouse with my little brother. And um you know, and Tom is really excited. And, and so I'm holding on to that hope that, you know, Faith said to me when she was three, that she asks God every night and God's not going to let her down. Hmm. And please don't let her down. Yeah. I mean, you have been through more than everyone combined should ever have to go through. I mean, it's just so unfair what you've been through. But you do have this miracle daughter, Faith, who sounds like she is wise beyond her years. Oh my goodness. I have to remember sometimes who's the parent and who's the kid. Like, <laughs> I have to say, me parent, you kid. <laughs> so how has being Faith's mom changed your life? Um changed I mean she gives me drive she keeps me going so much of my hope is because of her um she keeps me extremely active um and on the go and you know she um she has ADHD so every moment is something amazing <laughs> lots of energy um but you know you know sometimes I feel like is she the blessing I was meant to have? And maybe I wasn't meant to have all these others because she is such a miracle and she is everything and she is enough and, and whatnot. And I look at her and I'm just every day, I, I'm an amazement and I 
get to remind myself I am her mom. Um, and today, you know, I was on a lot of calls for work. So I had my office door closed. And when I opened it, um, she's homeschooled. And when I opened it, she's like, mommy. And she came running to me and she's like, I haven't seen you all day. Oh. And I have to say, I, I don't think I've ever felt that kind of love. And I don't feel like I've ever loved the way I love her. Oh my goodness. And I feel like with everything you've been through, it's just, you probably love her so much more. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I, I feel guilty for wanting to grow our family, but why, you know, we have so much love to give. Um, yeah. And my gosh, is Faith lucky that she has you as her example of going after what you want and not giving up and strength and courage. And my goodness, uh, she's very fortunate. Yeah. And she says often, she's like, I said, honey, you are so wonderful and so strong. And she's like, well, of course I am. I'm your kid. Oh. Um, and of course I blush, but you know, she saw me, unfortunately I would, she saw me at some of my worst times, but she also saw me in those times, pick myself up and keep going. Yes. And I can't as much as I want to shield her from anything bad and protect her and, you know, just put her in a bubble. So mm -hmm. she never gets hurt physically, emotionally, she never goes through this, but the reality is I can't. Yeah. So all I could do is show her how to get back up and keep going. And my gosh, have you shown her? Yeah. She actually wrote the, um, the preface in my book. Oh. oh my goodness. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that I can't even... Sorry, saying sorry does not do it justice for what I want to express to you for what you've been through. It is just, it is just cruel. It is a punishment and it is unfair. But for you to speak up and write it down to inspire other people is just so grateful for you that through what you've gone through and, you know, someone has to do it and it sucks that it had to be you. And I'm so sorry that it had to be you, but I hope there's some satisfaction you can get knowing that you are helping so many people and your daughter, the example you're setting for your daughter, that she's now going to grow up to be this resilient warrior, just like her mom. And Thank you. I mean, thank you so much for coming on here and telling me your story. And I, I do believe that there are so many people out there who feel alone and are going through this on a daily basis and, and don't know who to talk to. They are not alone. We are here. And yes, and more and more, they'll come to realize that with the help of people like you. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I wish you nothing but the best. And I will be following your journey. We're in this together. Absolutely. We all have different stories and different 
um, paths that we've walked to get here or the paths that we will continue to walk. But at the end of the day, we're all in this together um, and we share a bond in that we are sisters. Yes, and I feel that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unexpecting. Join our community by following us on Instagram at Unexpecting Podcast. If you'd like to share your story on our show, email us at unexpectingpodcast at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash unexpecting. Be kind to yourself. Be patient. And remember, today's teardrops are tomorrow's rainbows. Take care.